Hey, Sherman, welcome to the podcast. Hi, D. How are you doing tonight? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Good to talk to you. Yeah, same here. So I wanted to jump right into it. Um, so you send me um, letters periodically, which I deeply appreciate. And um, these are written letters. And I noticed, you know, like in the last year, more often than not, sometimes you'll have like an added extra, like you'll have a uh, you know, like pictures of stuff that you're into, like uh, your hobbies and things of that nature. And sometimes you'll have notes on things that you like listen to, like podcasts or radio shows. And so you sent me a, a batch of notes from an interview with uh, George Norrie and the demographer Kenneth Gronbach from, uh, I believe it was Coast to Coast, right? Uh, yes, I think uh, I put the date. I forgot what, but I wrote it in that letter to you. The date of the actual yeah, interview. I believe it was like November nineteenth of twenty twenty when they when the interview occurred because that was the date on the notes, and so you sent me this uh, these notes and I was reading through them as I you know before I read your letter, and I said, man, this is really interesting stuff, especially the stuff about China, and um, so I took some notes and I, I said, well, you know, I hadn't re- we hadn't recorded a podcast together in a long time. And um, I had sort of taken a break from podcasting, but uh, recently decided to, you know, get back on it and and do it more often. But um, I said, well, we got to talk about this because this is just fun to talk about in general. And I said, since we talk about this kind of stuff anyways, why not just record it and share it, you know, with the world? (laughs) Okay, sure. And um, so you agreed to do that. And um, we're here. So tell me, I mean, what is your recollection? you know, from, from that podcast or from, from Kenneth Grombeck, like he's a demographer. I don't even know what that is. Uh, basically he, he counts people real basic, you know, one-on-one version of a demographer. And so he just, yeah, counts number of people and he has some, uh, interesting, uh, theories. Uh, I've got his book. I think I'm halfway through it. It's a fairly interesting read that basically in a nutshell that, uh, uh, where there's, um, higher population numbers, the economy's good, lower population numbers, economy's bad, or what he says in the marketing world, you know, basically with business is easy, you know, basically, uh, if you're selling anything, whether it's blenders, cars, or widgets, it's just like, how big is your market? And is it your market growing or shrinking? Right. And when I was reading through the notes, it was interesting, because there was a nice little chunk of the notes that we're talking about, like American demographics, like, so they were talking about the baby boomers, they were talking about millennials and, and, the, and basically how our economy has been affected by, you know, those two uh, groups of people. And then the future looking the way it might look based off of population growth or regression for that matter. But uh, specifically like the stuff that I really like gravitated towards was China and I wanted to kind of focus on China in our talk today because I think a lot of you hear a lot about China, like kind of like how people used to talk about the USSR, you know, in the 70s, the 60s and 80s. And I think sometimes people look at China and they say, well, that's just, you know, kind of the token enemy that American politics has chosen, like for our generation, like China is the up and coming you know, superpower, and they're the ones that are the new ones that we're supposed to worry about, but there's always a monster under the bed, you know. Um, Mm. 
but it seems like there's a lot of like smoke <laughs> coming out of China in terms of like the stuff that's going on. And, you know, it's like that old cliche, like where there's smoke, there's fire. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up, because there's a couple notes here that you might not even totally be aware of, but you might have heard of it. But just from from my own curiosity, I'm curious, like, have you heard of like the social scoring initiative through facial <clears throat> recognition that China is implementing? Yeah, sort of like a social credit, you know, they they watch you and if you misbehave or do something quote unquote bad, they can uh, dock you points. So maybe you can't get on a bus or you can't go on a plane to somewhere. I mean, there's it's it's actually uh, concerning <laughs> that usually some stuff like that might end up uh, over in the Western state or certainly in America. Yeah, like that was the first thing. Like I wanted to start off light because this podcast is going to get pretty dark. <laughs> oh, okay. and, and, and this is like, so yeah, like the social scoring, like when I heard of it, and you know what's funny was I thought about this like years ago because I used to sell a lot of stuff on eBay. And, you know, on eBay, one of the ways they check the sellers is they give you like, you know, a scoring basically. And, and it's your um, your rating through the customer's. And if they give you negative feedback, your rating goes down, right? Um, and, you know, the whole, the point being that people are less likely to buy from you the worse your rating is. And that's mm-hmm. how it keeps sellers and buyers on track to do the right things. Well, in China, and you you said it really well, is it's like they're starting to implement this stuff. It's already kind of being put into place. And you mentioned, you know, not being allowed to go on flights, you know, like being seen as a social deviant, like you can't like hail a cab, <laughs> like, like, yeah, or you're probably restricted to where you live, you know, oh, you can't go in this apartment complex, you know, we don't like you, you know, you've got a bad social <laughs> score. Right. Isn't this like kind of like, I'm not the best with words, but like the beginning of like that dystopian future we've always heard about, like that 1984, like cctv future where everything you do is kind of like recorded oh yeah i mean and what the, again and uh george orwell didn't even conceive of what we have now you know you know social media internet you know i mean just it's way easier now when you have the technology to <clears throat> do all this track people you know where are you going what are you doing <clears throat> you know what did you say you know what so uh, posting you put somewhere, you know, five years ago, it's going to come back to haunt you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's true. in a lot of, you know, things regarding social media today, where if, if you're in a position of influence, you know, maybe you're an athlete, maybe you're famous, or, you know, you want to be a politician, or even just applying for certain, you know, types of jobs, you know, white collar work, like, they do like, social media background checks now. Um so like it's it's like a form of like social scoring in regards to and it's not just like your actions it, it's like maybe you had a strong political opinion and you didn't do anything illegal or you didn't necessarily say anything wrong but you said something that wasn't in accord with maybe the way that business wants to do business you know um, mm-hmm. and they won't hire you for that or they'll let you go later <laughs> who knows <clears throat> but um oh yeah part of the cancel culture yeah. Oh, look at this. He said something bad. Oh, we've got to, you know, we don't want him on our show. You know, he can't host the Academy Awards or, you know, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And it's like, yeah, I think, I think here in America, we're feeling that like we're starting to, we're feeling the kind of the social scoring, but it's not literal and it's not like overwhelming because you can delete your social media and it to a certain degree, you can kind of delete 
some of your mistakes. And like, whereas if it's getting to a point, like I saw or the point I wanted to make is I saw an interview with a, a tech person uh, from America talking about this Chinese technology. And, you know, he was saying, he was saying like, we have the technology to do that here. Like we can put CCTV and facial recognition on every street if we wanted to, and we could monitor everything that you do. And, and to a certain degree, it is monitored because of things like the Patriot Act and stuff like that that have been implemented over the years. But like that, we aren't we aren't that far away from being in the same spot as the people of China, you know, and um, how how like creepy and scary is that? Like, I mean. Those those are like real things we should be like concerned about. Well, it's also the shopping options too. Like most people start buying stuff on Amazon, and of course, Amazon tracks it so they can uh, push commercials your way to you know, or hey, you know, it's been uh, two months since you bought these pills, it's time to buy some more. And on the surface, that's nice, but then after a while, start tracking you, and then um, you know they've got you know everything that you've uh, bought, <laughs> you know, over the years, and so they know, <laughs> you know, what's in your living room or what's in your bedroom now, or you know what furniture, what you know uh, gadgets you've got, and and again, it's it's um, how should I say it? It's like. Amazon's a thousand pound gorilla because they make it easy, you know, free shipping, you know, just go up there, log in, you know, 15 minutes, you could buy, you know, hundreds of dollars of stuff. And then, yeah. And yeah, they can, I mean, the whole, the world is definitely changing and things are changing and, and at a rapid pace, almost for the, for like the layman, it's like almost out of control because I mean, if you're into tech and, and you know tech very well, it's like, okay, you know this is coming down the pike. But for the normal average American or the older American, maybe the baby boomer or generation Xer, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like like you can see me through my computer now. Like you can like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And um I think in a way for me, like as someone who's big on human rights, like looking at a country like China is kind of it's it's not just looking at China and judging China, but it's also looking at them and saying, hey, this could be America's future if we don't watch out. And I think yeah. that's a very important thing too to to understand, you know, even in the things we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, was, oh, you want a good preview of what might happen? There's a there's a basically a, a Chinese uh, Muslims, uh, I think they're called Uyghurs. I forgot how it's an interesting spelling, U-Y-G something. But uh, I saw a while back uh, Frontline had a, 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 a documentary on them. And basically, you know, the Chinese government's, uh, I mean, they're trying to, you know, just uh, get rid of that population. They, they, they've got, um, you know, satellite photos of these huge uh, uh, re-education camps. And they, they throw them in there. And the ones that... Uh, this documentary, the ones that uh, did go through it and got out or, you know, the ones that were willing to, you know, be recorded and uh, telling about what they went through. I mean, they had some, you know, scary stuff. And I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like uh, Orwell <laughs> on steroids, you know, it's like, boy. It's... Yeah. And, and that's definitely something that we're going to get into here. It, it's uh, the stuff that, that I heard. And not only it's not just stuff that you're hearing, because like I, when I was thinking about the title for this podcast, I was saying to myself, like, you know, do I call it conspiracies? And it's like, as myself sitting here, I have no evidence. I have articles. 
So I'm going to call it China conspiracies, <laughs> but, but we're going to talk about it. And some of the people that are saying these things, they're not just, you know, someone that's showing up on a podcast. It's actually like, you know, former secretary of state under Trump, you know, a guy like Mike Pompeo. So like, these are real pol- political movers and shakers that are making these statements, which in which he did, I think it was today. He might've said it before today or the other day before Trump left office. But, um, to get back into um, to understanding China a little bit, to, to discuss these real serious issues, I, I found it interesting in the in the podcast that you listened to, which was Coast to Coast. Um, you know, China has a deficit population, and it's said that they are missing a half a billion people under forty years old because of the one child po- only policy. And what's what's your like understanding, you know, cause, you know, full disclosure to anyone who's listening, you know, Sherman is a Chi- of Chinese descent. His parents, your parents immigrated here from China, right? Uh, yeah. And yes. um, I, w- I was born here, though. My parents were yeah. from China, but I was born here. Yeah. In California. Yes. Yeah. So you're you're a U.S. citizen, but your parents come from China. So you have like a a certain understanding, like more than someone who's not Chinese and never had it, anybody in their family that lived in China. Like did growing up, did you ever hear about the one child policy or what, what's your, like your understanding about it and how it had affected China? Yeah. From uh, that basically. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, when they ended it, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, what's the, they had one a policy where, you know, only one, uh, one child per a family and how I understood it was that uh, uh, have a, uh, a child, you know, it's, it's more, uh, it was more uh, favorable to have a male than a female. So, you know, we hear these stories that, oh, okay, and so a couple would have a, a baby, a female, and they would uh, basically uh, kill her or, or, you know, the, the infant, uh, the, the baby, and then uh, try again, hoping to get, uh, to get a male. And even Grombach mentions that in uh, his uh, interview on Coast to Coast that, uh, yeah, they've got a, uh, um, you know, was there's a lot more uh, guys than uh, uh, women or you know females, and that's not natural. Right. Yeah, and and because of the because of the um, the implementation of the one child policy, their population has a kind of a funny, well, not funny, but it, it's it's not. You know, it's it's not up to par with the elderly population that exists today. You know, their elderly population, their generation that would be about the same age as the American baby boomer population is huge. But the generations beneath that are very small. And because of that, you know, their labor force is shrinking. And and how are they going to be able to support this gigantic burgeoning you know, elderly population that, you know, generally it seems like in, in China, the elderly even leave, live longer, you know, per, uh, per person than in America. So, um, like, it's, uh, it's like a real, it's a disturbing yet interesting problem. Like, do, do you know why it was even implemented in the first place, the one-child policy? Was it, like, purely for population growth? Uh, I think that was a major part of it, but as um, from what I understand, uh, China or certainly a lot of the communist countries always had these, you know, twenty-year plans, thirty-year plans. They always thought forward decades, and so I guess they're they're 
thing was that, you know, well, God, we've got to control it. And I could be wrong, but that's that's my understanding of it, that, yeah, it was just, you know, population, keep keep the numbers down. Yeah, and and the, the dark part of that whole theory that Gronbach talks about and that I, I kind of wanted to get your take on was, you know, Gronbach posits, you know, and you, you, you wrote this in your notes, if the Chinese can kill their own children, they might have no problem killing their elderly. Gronbach believes COVID-19 was potentially developed in China to take care of China's elderly issues, quote unquote, mm-hmm. as in the letter, not his yeah. particular quote. Yeah. Um, but but he, he mentioned that in the interview and uh, mm-hmm. uh, put it this way, I don't, I don't have any proof of that. And that's just, again, Gronbach's uh, uh, take. That's his viewpoint. Uh, um, I don't know. It's, it's a compelling argument. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, if you look at uh, communist countries, uh, they have no qualms about <laughs> killing their people. You know, yeah, that, that's what was, Russia uh, with the uh, gulags, you know, send them to Siberia, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are like out of touch with it, you know, because it's like kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't live through a genocide, you don't understand it. Like, you know, you can't understand that it happens today. Like it's happening today. And, you know, you got places like like you mentioned, you know, in, in Russia and in uh, you know, all over Europe during World War II and Rwanda and other parts of Africa and, and Asia. And, you know, um, even in America, when the, the Americans came in and pretty much wiped out the natives, um, you know, these these genocides, these things, they're not like as elaborate. And, and, you know, it's not like some impossible thing to do. It's actually quite seemingly quite easy when a government organizes its efforts to do that. And for me, like hearing that when I saw that, that's what like raised my eyebrow. Like when I was reading the notes, I said, you know, okay, here's an eyebrow raiser because like, you know, but China's been pointing the finger at America. America's pointing the finger at China when it comes to COVID-19. You know, during the Trump administration, all things are dramatic. So there's a lot of talk early on about, you know, whose fault was it? But I mean, I guess the question I would ask is, is it plausible that China or the Chinese government or the leadership within the Chinese government could have said, look, we have a serious issue with our elderly, maybe in these areas of China, maybe the poverty stricken middle-class areas. And we can't afford to support them with our forms of social security and healthcare. You know, could you weaponize a virus that basically attacks the elderly more often than not? I mean, that seems pretty plausible. I, I, it's crazy, but I, I don't think he's like, I don't think Gronbach is like a psycho for saying that. No, but like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a compelling theory and it's uh, hard. So, you know, it's, it's something that you might have to put in the great basket because you don't have any hard proof of it. But in a way, if, you know, you, you know, look at some of the evidence and gee, and, you know, it's in some weird way, this, this makes sense, you know, that, you know, you, yeah, they have some, uh, you know, virus that takes out the elderly population so you don't have to care for them anymore. Yeah, like how, how do you, like as someone, you know, looking at it as an outsider, but that being your culture, like where your your genes are from, you know, like how do you see that? Like how, how does that make you feel? Well, again, like I said, uh, you know, uh, 
communist governments in China, you know, that we're discussing right now. Yeah, there's, and I think I, I wouldn't put it past them, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> so they, they, they easily, you know, uh, yeah, would, or let's see the, the uh, communist leadership would, you know, get together in their uh, closed uh, conferences and say, hey, yeah, you know, this is uh, one way to uh, deal with the situation. I mean, it, it, if you look at the people, if the government or the leadership looks at the people like they would look at like cattle or like a turkey farm or whatever, um, if they see like the general public like that and, and they don't have a humanistic, uh, compassionate eye towards them, like, I mean, it wouldn't shock me to see the idea of calling the herd being functional to them. You know, maybe even being dip, like a diplomatic, like nationalist thing is like, hey, we're saving our country by getting rid of these people. Um, you know, do, do, do you think like what's your take? Because, you know, one of the interesting things when me and you spent a lot of time together when COVID-19 um, first hit, we had gone on a trip together right before. And one of the things that I started doing when COVID-19 hit was I, I kept track of like a lot of the numbers, you know, the cases. Cause I was really like interested in like, you know, what, what's the deaths per capita, you know, or like the deaths per case, you know, how many people, what's the percentage of people that are dying relative to, you know, the virus uh, getting to people. And, you know, the first country that I think we were all were tracking was China because it started there, but then they just stopped reporting mm -hmm. and have not reported any numbers <clears throat> since the beginning. Like what, what like plausible reason can we even think of as to why they didn't give those numbers to the world? Oh yeah. They probably have something to hide. And even Grombach says, if I recall that uh, interview, yeah, he doesn't trust any numbers coming out of China and yeah. And yeah. And they have <clears throat> all the reason to fudge the numbers or, you know, if they do release anything and and yeah, you know, it's like, okay, so why don't they uh, come out with the real numbers? Maybe they've got something to hide or the, the numbers will show something that, <laughs> that doesn't make them look good. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because like, if, if they were innocent, if there's nothing going on, if there's, you know, I, I know that, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that you're the expert on China just because you have a Chinese background, but you might know a little bit more than myself. But I know from I'm Portuguese and I know in my culture, we're very prideful people. And so if we get accused of any kind of bad things, we get turned off. And so I guess what I wonder about China is, you know, when Trump and, and some of the American government, you know, folks in the government or, or you know, uh, people in intelligence started saying that, the, you know, this thing was made in China and weaponized potentially and maybe it was China flubbed in and that's how the COVID-19 got out. That is it, is it plausible that maybe China took it personal and said, Hey, like, well, we're just not going to, we're not going to deal with the rest of the world. If you guys think it's our fault. Um, I think that's one explanation, but that's to me, that seems kind of childish for a superpower to do that. Um, but is it, does it see, what does it seem like in, from your perspective, is it more likely that they, got offended and just decided to quit reporting their numbers to everybody or that they, it is that they were trying to hide. Or maybe saving face. Uh, okay. So let's take for the, let's go for our uh, argument sake that this is the case that they, you know, had a, this, uh, they uh, developed 
this uh, COVID-19, this strain in, you know, in a lab. You know, again, I don't have a proof, but let's let's run with this. And designed specifically to, you know, cull their elderly population. Uh, you it, put it this way, even if it's in China, there's no way you can uh, control a virus. You know, there's so much, uh, uh, you know, international traffic. You know, there's just no way to contain that thing. You know, you can't just say, okay, let's release this and it'll call, uh, uh, take out uh, the, a large portion of the elderly population in China. And it's not going to affect any of the other countries. <laughs> that that once it's out, it's out, and then you know it's now okay. So now you've got this a worldwide pandemic, and uh, gee, now what do we do? <laughs> you know, do we fess up and say, oh yeah, that was part of our uh, program, or you know, either that was we designed it, or you know, we were playing around with it, but it got loose from a lab. <laughs> you know, it's like God. You know, they, you know, they they say anything that you know it's it's you know anything that you know points to them as the respons responsible culprits for uh, creating this virus. Yeah, that's not going to look too good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, nobody that's in power that has done something that would risk their power generally comes out and says, "Hey, by the way." <laughs> Yeah, we did do that. You know, we did do this horrible thing that you guys all think we might have done. And I think that's what kind of keeps conspiracy theories alive mm -hmm. is that because, you know, we know people in the history of of humanity that people have done people and governments and institutions have done horrible things to mm -hmm. others. And we know that for a fact. And then when something horrible happens, that seems explainable potentially through a conspiracy or, or some sort of, you know, nefarious, you know, uh, you know, intent, it's easy to just say, Hey, this is, you know, it's easier to blame an institution or a country than it is to say, Oh, this is just happenstance. Yeah. And, um, in the case of COVID-19, I mean, if, if you look at it by the numbers in America, um, you know, it, it definitely is, is killing older people and people with, uh, health issues on a higher clip than, you know, healthy people. Um, and so like, I guess the, the, the argument could be made that, Hey, this would be like an easy way to spread this throughout, you know, the communities and yeah, you're going to lose some young people, but, you know, generally we're trying to kind of cull the herd a little bit and, and knock out some of these older people that we feel like, you know, we don't need that, that weight on our social security or on our healthcare system or what have you. Um, in a capitalist country, it might not make as much sense for that kind of uh, paranoia because the healthcare and, you know, a third of our economy is based on healthcare. Yeah. You know, people pay out the wazoo for healthcare, including. Uh, yeah. Well, why kill off all your patients um, so you can drag this on, <laughs> you know, and keep them going to hospitals, you know, I mean, the easy uh, solution would be to kill them off. You don't have to worry about them. Whereas, you know, again, get someone in the hospital, you know, <laughs> a hospital stay alone. But yeah, you're right. You know, in a capitalist society, it would not make sense to just, you know, kill out, kill off large, uh, large percentage of the elderly population in America. Right. And so with that said, but it does make sense in a fascist or socialist or communist society that if the government's paying for everything, even though the government's taking everything as well, that they might in their 
disdain for the herd say, you know, well, we've got, you know, this part of the herd that just isn't working out anymore. And we don't have enough of the other part of the herd, the young part of the herd to, to take care of the old part. So, you know, let's, let's do the nationalistic, you know, communist thing and, and get rid of these people. And you can't just kill them in the streets you know, in a media world. So, you know, what's like plausible deniability is like a really horrible flu. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think it's plausible. Like when, when I read that in, in, in the notes of the, of the coast to coast broadcast, I said, man, that it's just, it didn't strike me as something that I could just easily like just deny. Yeah. Well, it's like any uh, like criminal investigation, you know, uh, who benefits from the crime, you know, whether it's a murder, okay, is there like money involved? Is the, you know, who gets, uh, who's in, in the will or, you know, and in a situation like this, okay, so if uh, China did, again, using this argument that, you know, China did uh, intend to, you know, uh, kill off a large portion of the elderly population, what would they gain from it? And then it goes back to what you said, you know, it's like, because I don't think they have a social security system, certainly like, not like the United States. So, Yeah, they, they have, I actually did some research on their social security system, and they have like a three-pronged system. But I think the major issue is just exactly what, you know, you had put in your notes was that they don't have enough young people <laughs> because of the one-child system. They just don't have enough people to support that you know large amount of of elderly and not only elderly but people that are going to live into their 80s and 90s and you know a record amount of centurions that are probably gonna you know come about in the next 20 30 40 50 years so um yeah it's definitely a a trip and, and something that you know got my brain going for sure and you know that was more in the realm of conspiracy what we're about to talk about right now which you touched on earlier is is kind of literal because you know according to the former trump secretary of state mike pompeo you know i mean he made he made the flat-out accusation before leaving office before the uh trump administration you know closed down shop that there's a genocide going on in china you know with the you said the uyghur uh Mm -hmm. muslims and um you mentioned the re-education camps and uh you know there's a lot of crazy talk coming out of there that who knows what's going on, but there's talk of um, forced sterilizations, organ harvesting, uh, forced imprisonments, all kinds of, you know, the, the re-education camps are basically mm-hmm, prisons. Yeah. Um, I've seen p- pictures of them. They look like American prisons. And um, I mean, it, it's just so sad that this kind of stuff is, you know, seemingly going on in the modern world. And, and because China is, is so secretive and, and big and it's, it's a you know, massive nuclear power, there's really nothing we can do about it. Yeah, and they've they're got, uh, you know, huge manufacturing capacity. You know, I mean, they build up pretty much <laughs> everything that we buy, you know, a large percentage of stuff that's made in China, you know. Yeah, and to a certain degree, like, they kind of own America. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's things have changed over the years. We've had four years of kind of a, if you want to call it a nationalist government under Donald Trump. Um, 
I won't sit here and, and, and speculate whether that's been the best thing or the worst thing. Depending on who you talk to, it's one way or the other. But um, one thing that I can say about Donald Trump administration was that he didn't bow down to other countries generally. I mean, you can make arguments that there were instances where he cozied up to you know leaders that have done really bad things in terms of human rights and even flat out murder. But um, when it comes to American business interests, at least, he's always seemed to put America first in that regards. At least that's what, you know, has been said. And um, with what's going on with China right now and having a new president, Joe Biden, who has always been seen as more of a friendly towards China. Like, how do you have these conversations? Like, how do you? How do you like start a new administration and then the last administration walks out and says, oh, by the way, China's, uh, you know, got a full, a full blown genocide going on in their northern region. Like, how do you like talk to China after that? You know, it's, well, it, it's, it's yeah, I guess it just depends on how the Biden administration is going to view it. Are they going to play hardball or are they going to, you know, be a little more lenient? OK, let's look the other way. And again, it, that's that's uh, early in the that's in the future. So I can't say with just, you know, his actions will uh, speak louder than words. Well, and that's the crazy thing about politics is is as sad as it is. It's true that politics is about prior prioritization and survival. And so, like, what do the Uyghur Muslims mean to Joe Biden and his administration? relative to the other issues that are at hand and or economic relations with China over the term of his presidency. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, we live in a world and, you know, and this is, this could be a whole nother podcast in terms of like how we see money and how money controls people and our actions, but that, you know, these kind of things are happening potentially. And, um, it's just extremely troubling to know that not, not only is it troubling to know what's going on in the world, but it's troubling to know that a, a country that is potentially our greatest foe, potentially someday, and has the capabilities to wipe us out just as much as we have the capabilities to wipe them out, thinks and does things in this kind of way, you know. And also, it's like, uh, you know, there's a let's say about the, the grand chessboard, you know, how do you play this? As you know, you know, uh, China's, um, you know, wanting to take back Taiwan. And I think we have some uh, treaty of some kind that if China attacks Taiwan, we'll uh, jump in on Taiwan's behalf. Yeah, yeah. And there's been actually, if, if you ever want to watch like a really good show, I actually like it a lot is... Um, and the best place to watch is actually on YouTube is uh, 60 Minutes Australia. And they've done a lot of great work reporting on China's incursion into the South China Sea and, and into, you know, the, 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 that whole area, expanding their territory and their empire through these island nations. And um, the, just the, the China's just grand plan to, you know, to just take up all the sea lanes and, kind of take control over that area so you know nobody can get in and out without their saying and you know who does that remind me of you know reminds me of germany once they started expanding through europe and, and taking over things little by little and um you know the future in regards to 
the relationships with totalitarian governments, I mean, it's, it's scary because um, we've never in the, in human history, we've never faced a totalitarian government this strong and, and that with the capabilities that the Chinese government has, because I, I, I always, I get reticent to say China because I don't want to put that label on the people because the people just live there. They live under that regime and that style of government doesn't mean that they agree with that way of living. They're just kind of stuck there. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like they always say, so yes, yeah, it's, it's more like, okay. a, it's the, the leaders that um, drive everything. You know, what was that uh, famous, um, all quite on the Western front. And there's a line where the character says, you know, what we all do is so I'll just, you know, get all the leaders of the world and <laughs> stick them in a circle and have them, you know, beat each other up and <laughs> kill each other and, you know, leave the rest of us alone. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, to me, I don't get a good feel from what's going on and from what I'm hearing from there, and, it, and especially the types of communications that China is exhibiting within the rest of the world, which is basically they're speaking the money language. They're going into these countries and saying, hey, here's some money. We want this. We want that. Um, you know, and, and these, these smaller island nations are just giving them whatever they want because the money helps. But um, to kind of go deeper down the rabbit hole, I mean... I read an article that from an international tribunal that stated, I think it was in London, this international tribunal got together and, and they wrote and they said their findings were that China is forcing organ harvesting from detainees and prisoners. And, and some of these people having their organs harvested mm. are still alive <laughs> when their <laughs> organs are harvested. Um the organ transplants in China, the, the industry is worth billions of dollars and they don't have the kind of organ donor programs like we have in the United States. At least that's what it, what I've. Yeah. Grombach mentions that something about like um, uh, China does like 100,000 organ transplants a year and they don't have an organ donor program like the United States. So <laughs> where are they getting all these organs from? Right. And so like, it's, it's being said that criminals in China, not just criminals, but also uh, victims of this genocide and, and people that are in these, these camps and people that are not deemed to be, you know, proper Chinese citizens are being used as organ yeah, inventory. I, and, I mean, what is your take from that? Like, that's freaking nuts, man. I mean, if that's really going on, if that's 100% true. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean... That it, it's it's institutional. Yeah, I mean it's evil. <laughs> you know, kill I mean, these people it... for their uh, uh, body parts. And in fact, I saw it today on a Facebook meme. It was just humorous one, but it said, uh, "Never, don't let anyone ever tell you your your life is uh, you're you're worthless." And then they have a, a chart of a, a human body, and then they have points out eyes twenty two thousand dollars, kidney you know fifty thousand dollars. You know. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy, absolute craziness. You know, I had a, I had a friend who was a businessman uh, from China. Uh, when, I, when I was in Santa Barbara, California, um, I had a lot of Asian friends from all over uh, the territories. And um, this particular friend of mine, he was pretty wealthy, him and his wife. And he would tell me some stories about how things were in China and it was very matter. What disturbed me about his tone and, and how he said things was 
it he wasn't talking about it as if it was bad as much as he was talking about it as if it was just that's the way it is there and i don't want to go into details on everything he said because you know it, i don't want to judge the guy but that was his culture that was what he was used to and what he grew up with and, and as a man of wealth he didn't really have to worry about that stuff because he mm-hmm. was in good standing with the government but when you hear like how the lower uh tiers of people in china are treated women and and people that are different whether it's their beliefs or their culture um that china is trying to integrate into their like kind of one way government it it's absolutely terrifying uh i mean it, it's kind of like this government that's just gobbling up cultures gobbling up you know belief systems and and just spitting out like one way of thinking that only benefits the leadership of mm. the government you know ultimately. oh yeah it's uh, like uh, you know nationalism uh, run amok you know nationalism on steroids you know we're, we're going to take everyone out and yeah. you know we're going to be yeah. the last one standing you know? yeah you could say it's almost like evolved trumpianism you know what what could america had become had donald trump <laughs> had 10 more yeah. years in office you know <laughs> had had he decided hey you know two terms isn't enough let's just keep doing this thing and and everyone was like yeah let's do it you know like could america have started you know its infancy of totalitarianism and you know depending on who you talk to you know america has enough problems and it's true there is corruption but we here. could go down that slippery but, um, slope so you can say oh you know um, uh, depending on what what factions evolve, that you know, hey, we need to keep the American people safer. So let's let's clamp down. You know, let's uh, start watching people's social media. And, you know, go, you know, go full bore. You know, uh, surveillance state. You know what I think the big difference is though what? between the United States and China mm-hmm. in regards to the, what you just said. You know, mm-hmm. the surveillance state is. I think in America, society still has not readily accepted that we should be surveilled to that level. And part of the reason that American society has not accepted that, you know, we should have CCTV cameras on every street and um, we should have social scoring and and social, you know, um, justice, you know, against people basically like. You know how in China, if you jaywalk, they'll show your picture to everyone to see, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I think the reason because that we don't accept that is because we still have the freedom to speak our minds online and, uh, you know, in general with other people like we are here in this podcast without fear of government, you know, intrusion in our lives. You know, like I, I can make a podcast and, and say whatever I think might be uh, about America or conspiracy theories or, or even flat out call out a politician and not have to worry about ending up in a labor camp. Whereas yeah, from the interviews I saw in China, of the people talking about the social scoring system and about CCTV and all that stuff, that it was very simple and it was very kind of the rhetoric was all the same, which was well, I'm not a criminal, so I don't have nothing to worry about, and I trust the government. And as I was watching these interviews, I said, well, is this what they really think, or is that what they want their government to hear them say? And and I find that is the, the big difference that's keeping America from becoming a surveillance state, is that 
I think the people still feel empowered to have opinions that are different from mainstream. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, going back to the, the surveillance thing, I think it's slowly insidiously uh, creeping in where everyone's got a ring, you know, camera on the front door. And, you know, of course, it's, it's, you have the funny videos, you know, the, the postman, you know, slipping on the ice or whatever. And, of course, you also see the, you know, the criminals, the porch pirates, you know. Okay, he, this is uh, this big guy came along and stole these two packages from the front yard. But more important, people are getting used to just seeing, you know, uh, having a camera, your neighbor's ringtone pointed at your house from across the street. And, you know, people get used to that. And, of course, with uh, Facebook's implementing that uh, fact check thing in a way you know that just, you know, what's, what's you know that? if you post something on facebook and they'll check it and say you know oh, that's fraudulent or you know like i don't know uh, face masks don't work or something like that and yeah oh that's, and, that's and, true and, and, yeah. and so sometimes it's good sometimes <laughs> bad some people you know oh yeah you know now we can't uh express our rights because you know they got these fact checkers you know it's like and you know well, maybe your facts were wrong but let's face it most most people, you know, they're they're going to pass on some meme or something, not not check, uh, you know, the sources. You know, I always like that one that runs around. You know, Abraham Lincoln says you shouldn't believe everything you see on the internet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it goes back to like for me, like a fundamental, like idea. I don't think a, uh, like an artificial intelligence scientist would agree with me, but. I think maybe like a humanist would in, in that, you know, does humanity, should it maintain the right to have its ignorance and to not be right all the time or to not have the answers to everything or, you know, to not know everything. And, um, and, and because, you know, yes, technology offers benefits, but those same benefits or the, those same technologies that offer the benefits can also lead to our downfall. And, you know, that that's the idea of like the Terminator movies and, you know, all of this talk about artificial intelligence running our lives and, and the things that can come from, you know, singularity and, and things of that nature. Um, it's it's going to be a, a wild ride in regards to technology interfacing with, you know, human rights, because it's one thing to have great technology that can catch criminals that we know are criminals and you know hold people accountable but then what are we going to do when technology is in the wrong hands and now all of a sudden it's not just used to catch criminals yeah. it's used or to catch the centers or even the worst case you know, like a, opinions, all this huxley's you know what was that brave new world where you know people are just you know, entertained and so they don't care you know give me some soma you know if, I, if you're feeling unhappy or uncomfortable you know uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, I, yeah, all these yeah. bad things are happening in the world, but I don't care as long as I can, you know, binge watch, you know, season 19 of, you know, fill in the blank of your favorite TV show. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild world that, that we're living in, and it's only getting crazier. <laughs> but, um, before we take off, I wanted to thank you again for, you know, taking those notes because it definitely inspired this little podcast we put together. Um, I had a, qu a question and it's something just to talk about really quick is, you know, what, in your opinion, what should we make of the United States and China's relations moving forward? Like, like what, 
what should be the big takeaway for the year 2021 of like how we should deal with China and our relationship? Oh boy, that's a good one. Because I think the wild card would be if uh, China really wanted to test Biden's resolve, there'll be some instant, you know, there'll be, you know, some military incident of some kind, you know, one of their battleships running into another country's battleship or, you know, doing something outrageous just to see, you know, what, how, what's the American reaction going to be to it? You know, there's, there's going to be a test somehow, I think. I don't know what, what form or shape is going to be in, but, you know, because uh, keep in mind just, uh, uh, you know, two things that, uh, you know, I always heard that China doesn't play chess, checkers, it plays chess, you know, thinks, you know, moves in advance, years in advance, decades in advance. And, and um, also they're, uh, how should I say, the, sometimes stubborn, you know, sometimes they're not going to back down. So, and like I said, it's just, uh, you know, um, uh, wary, be wary of your adversary, you know, just watch them. But like I said, you know, my, that, that's my guess that, you know, uh, there's going to be some incident in the future just to uh, test to see what, what the America's new president's going to do. You know, what's their, how are they going to stand on this issue? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, for me, like with my background in, in, you know, humanism and, you know, I feel like I kind of hearken back to like words that Ronald Reagan said about, you know, when he was talking, I forgot what issue he was talking about, what he was, he was saying, you know, imagine if there was a force that was greater than earth that was threatening earth in general and how beautiful it would be for all the nations to have to come together to stop that force. You know, it could be an asteroid. It could be, you know, what, what have you. Um, and I feel like the only way to get genuine relations with China mm-hmm. is to have genuine projects with China. And, and I don't mean economic because there's so much corruption in that. It's not even funny between politicians and governments. But I mean, you know, like a literal, like a human rights project, you know, like, like something where it's like there's this agreement that we're going to do this by 2025, you know, and, and whatever that might be, maybe it's, you know, helping you know people that are with poverty or helping you know certain people in in a certain country or certain issues but i feel like the the olive branch that might and i'm not saying it's going to fix the relations between america and china but i i think it could get the ball rolling is that i think china and america have to team up on a project that is successful for the world and i think in that there could be the potential for like humanity seeing that like hey these countries we don't have to fight each other and i don't mean fight in terms of wars but i mean economies and and in terms of you know you know who has the better technology and and things of that nature is hey we can actually come together and do something good for everybody um if we put our minds to it And, and to me i i i mean i can't remember the last time that something like that has happened you know like you know, and, and, and I, I would hope that it would happen naturally. You know, there's all kinds of accords and there's all kinds of deals and there's all kinds of, you know, G12s and the stuff like this. But what I mean is like, you know, something where it's not like, oh, there's a problem that we have to fix today. So we're coming together. But more of like, you know, it could be, you know, pollution. It could be, 
um, or literally and even better, you know, helping people, helping the environment, helping wildlife, helping, you know, um, you know, garner peace in regions, you know, I think if America and China could unify on a project just to get the ball rolling and during this Biden administration, at least one project, I think that would be a beautiful thing. I think it'd be a very beautiful thing for, for relations. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about very dark stuff today. And if it's true, it's abhorrent. But the reality of the situation is, is if China yeah. is doing these things, there's really no way we can really truly stop them without mm-hmm. risking our are own you, nation's or security. Or just mind your own business. <laughs> so <laughs> this is our, what are we going to do? Are, you know, don't mess with ours. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and so what are we going to do? Are we going to convince China that they're evil and that's how they're going to fix themselves? Or are we going to get close to these people that are maybe they're doing things that we don't agree with, but hopefully over time we can try to make things better. Well, again, the... you know, for everyone. Oh, by showing. Oh, I was saying by showing that we can work together and that there doesn't have to be a system that, 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 you know, whether it's capitalism or communism or what have, what have you. That, you know, everyone can, that I, th- I think we can all understand that there's basic tenets in every system that are understandable. It's, the problem is the application of those tenets, you know, like communism isn't bad if it was purely based on like <laughs> yeah. gross domestic happiness <laughs> and, and not oppression of people. Um, capitalism would be better if it invested more in its people. Like it's, it's the application of ideals and ideas that make things great or, or bad. So I feel like two countries with different ways of seeing the world and their people coming together to fulfill a massive and amazing project, you know, whether it's technology or humanistic could benefit. Yeah, the well, world put this way, China's interesting because yeah, obviously the ideology, certainly the political leadership is, you know, is a communist country, but at the same time, they want the benefits of a capitalist society, you know, or, or certainly leadership. I'm, I'm sure those, a lot of the leadership do have a, a secret Swiss bank accounts, you know, money stuffed away, you know, uh, a mistress or two, you know, a, a nice, um, house somewhere you know for for a party leader you know so yeah so it's again you know there's the ideology and then there's the reality you know hey i I mean they they want a good life just like everyone else you know comfortable house you know not not to you know work at some factory all day you know it's like so yeah that's what the trick becomes you know how can um the west work with the uh the east you know Oh, yeah. Well, Chairman, thank you so much for sending me those notes and inspiring this podcast. And uh, I ask you that if you please okay, keep well, say it's always good talking to you. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, you take care and thanks so much. For okay. Taking have the time a good weekend. Talk about this on the podcast. Bye.